0: each week, as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons, they will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy—the legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella, I'm the to World Messenger, and I have another epic guest on the Legacy Leader Show. I'm super excited to introduce someone who I admire, who I see as an amazing mover and shaker, very strong, powerful woman that accomplished so much and already carved a legacy for herself. Without further ado, allow me to introduce you to Dr. Diane Hamilton. Diane, how are you? I'm great. Thank
1: you so much for having me on your show. I'm looking so forward to chatting.
0: Likewise. Oh my goodness. I was just checking as like you just keep building and expanding and growing and adding so much to your portfolio i mean not only that you are obviously a keynote speaker and someone who is also a fellow uh, forbes coaches council member and phenomenal coach and being now selected of the top influential 50 coaches uh, by marshall goldsmith uh, first of all i want to congratulate you for that that's a fantastic accomplishment Oh, well i appreciate that you know i'm actually in uh, the thinkers
1: 50 which marshall's a part of and it is just such an honor to to be associated with any group they they put me on the thinkers 50 radar and it's just every time i see him i i pinch myself that i'm in this group with uh, just so many amazing people
0: wow yes thank you for correction and then what's very also interesting you are being uh teaching at forbes school of business I mean, uh, that is fantastic as well. And bringing such a great uh, information that is timely relevant and helping people and businesses to navigate something that everybody's cringing and and worry about, which is human behavior and human factor right now that we're seeing, right?
1: Yeah, it's a crazy time. The good news is that uh, people like me who have been in it for so long, um, you know, we've had such a a background in uh, working virtually that it hasn't changed my world too much. But you know, a lot of people out there are just getting introduced to Zoom because of COVID and getting introduced to some of these virtual ways. So it's kind of opening up some doors uh, which have been really a, a, a great option for people in the past, but it's too bad it has to take this for people to, to find out about some of this stuff. But it, it has been a time that people have grown which I love the curiosity of people have shown.
0: <laughs> and 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 obviously um as obviously you got your doctorate <laughs> yes. which it took a lot of time and effort you also published and authored many books on top of it you're teaching you're coaching and you now supporting others so like, how do you find the time to do all of it <laughs> well i had a lot more time till i bought
1: a labrador you know that kind of took away a
0: little <laughs> bit of my time
1: but uh no actually you know, they all complement each other because the radio show complements what I learned from everybody in the industry, people like you, anybody who interviews me or who I interview. I learn lots of great things to share in my classes. I still teach for quite a few different universities that have virtual programs still, including the Forbes School of Business, as you mentioned, which is part of the University of Arizona here in Arizona. And I I do a lot of um, things that complement one another so it makes it kind of seamless to go from one thing to the other but my, my main focus has always been on developing curiosity and uh, behavioral skills, you know emotional intelligence soft skills type of things, um, as as well as um, perception and some of the things that I write about in, in uh, my students and in, in leaders and uh, employees in general. So it's just, it's fine. It, it does get a little tiring sometimes because <laughs> I got a lot going on, but I love it. I like to keep busy.
0: Love it. And, and it's such a great uh, refreshing to see someone who unleash their passion and look at what it's possible and how much um, ripple and effects can be created. And I love that you are so curious about curiosity, as well as the power of perception, because curiosity is the what keeps us alive, right? And what keeps us going. So, do you mind sharing a little bit your perspective, why curiosity, uh, and what is the curiosity code about? Because it seems like you uh, got something to help others to unlock. And do you mind sharing for audience that are not familiar with your work a little bit more about that? No, I'm
1: happy to. I, I, you know, I really never expected where I was going to end up where it is. Uh, when I started to write the book, um, I, I thought, you know, I had interviewed so many interesting people, I, and I think I've. Had more than 15, 1600 people I've interviewed. And every person was just more interesting than the next. And the really successful people were super curious. And I started to, to notice that some of my students maybe wanted me to give them the fish instead of teach them to fish, kind of thinking. And I wanted them to, to, to be more like some of these big leaders and successful people I've had on my show. And I thought, well, what can I do to help them? And I kept thinking, it kept coming down to curiosity. So that's why I I decided to write a book on curiosity, because I thought it was such a fascinating look at I mean, you listen to Warren Buffett or anybody, they'd say it's curiosity, Oprah, you name it, they all say it's curiosity. And so that's what's making them successful. And I think, you know, for me, it wasn't enough to write the book, because as I started to write the book, I thought, okay, well, there's other books about the importance of curiosity, but what this one was what I was trying to do was to help people overcome the things that keep them from being curious and I started to realize right away that there was no assessment that did that that determined what uh, I wanted to to do which was find out what stops you and so once you know what stops you you can move forward so I started to analyze some of the uh assessments out there because I have to quantify everything that's the nerdy PhD in me right so (laughs) I I I, because I had given written my dissertation on emotional intelligence and its impact on performance. So I had looked at all these assessments and I was pretty familiar with assessing. And all the assessments would tell you about curiosity is if you had higher or low levels, which is important sometimes you wanna know if somebody's developing or you know, if you wanna hire somebody, they have higher or low levels, but it didn't, the ones that were out there did not tell you what was stopping you so that you can move forward. So I hired a lot of people, uh, to help me and a lot of them couldn't figure it out. And I ended up training myself to do a lot more of the, the factor analysis and some of the statistics that I don't love, um, to, uh, figure out the things that, you know, that, so you could look at the factors that impact curiosity. And I found, uh, that is what led to my curiosity code index, which is kind of companion to the curiosity code book. Um, as a kind of a piece to not only teach you about curiosity in the book, but then the assessment to tell you what's stopping you so that you can move forward.
0: Wow, that is fantastic. And see where's the will, where is the way. When you <laughs> see the gap in opportunity, and I love how you just approach to that. If I if somebody else cannot help me out, I'll figure it out. And then obviously <laughs> A uh, huge game changer because um, with a lot of organizations, specifically with the c suite and, and executives, right? With the organizations that are leading today. Mm-hmm. Uh, tremendous tool and, and very helpful. But I'm curious also about your power of perception, because mm-hmm. that is very interesting, because how we perceive things around us, right, about mm-hmm. other people and everything else, and, and how the those two things complement each other. Do you mind a little bit elaborating about that, because of what I love, so that you figured out how to eliminate these uh, obstacles also in that way? Yeah, you know, perception
1: was kind of a natural next step because as my co-author, Dr. Maya Zelahich and I were looking at what we wanted to write about, a lot of the problems you see in the workplace are people look at the same email and get two different reactions, they look at the same forecast of what they're supposed to do, and they get two different ideas. What can seem overwhelming to one person is completely reasonable to the next person, or something that might upset you would not upset him, or, you know, you just don't know. And so we were starting to look at perception because it's kind of a combination of IQ, EQ for emotional quotient, CQ for curiosity quotient, and CQ for cultural quotient to combine. And since uh, Dr. Zelahitch was very big on traveling, she's the corporate, uh, Expert in, in international matters, uh, she was a natural complement to my personality assessing, and we kind of went to, together on this. and And uh, she is the um, uh, right now acting dean of um, business at the Forbes School of Business, and we we decided to look at the just the factors that is, are in, involved in perception. And with perception, it was more. Uh, a process of what we go through. And we uh, evaluate, then we predict, then we interpret and then we correlate to come to these uh, conclusions that we come up with. And there's so much of culture influences involved that those seep into each area. uh, And when we were doing the factor analysis for that. So it was so fascinating. I had some great people on my show uh, who had been perception experts, experts like Bo Lotto and Joe Lurie, and and just some had written great books or had great TED Talks. And uh, that was the, the reason we went in that direction, because I didn't think it's enough to get your cultural quotient, because that's one thing, you know, culture, but perception is so encompassing. And that's why we decided, you know, this is a really important topic. And it, you know, perception and curiosity are such broad words and just going back to cu- the curiosity component of perception and just curiosity in general, when people ask me what I mean by that, it's not just asking questions. It's not just asking questions and listening. It's not, just, it's not, it's really for me, it's about getting out of status quo thinking of doing things the way you always done them just because they did it that way there's a thought experiment I don't know if you've seen it online but uh, a woman goes into a doctor's office thinking she's getting her eyes examined I don't I don't know if you've seen this but they no, ring, I did not. yeah it's a they ring a bell like every few minutes and everybody around her are actors and she doesn't know it she's the only one that's there really for the doctor And so when the bell goes off, she's sitting there and they all stand up and sit down with no reason or explanation. They just get up and sit down, everybody in the office. And she gets this weird look on her face, looks around, you know, and they do this several times. And by the third time, she gets up and sits down with them. And she doesn't know why, she just is going along with social learning, right? You do things because it's uncomfortable not to do what everybody else is doing. And they thought, well, this is really interesting. Let's call everybody out of the room one at a time as if they're getting their eyes examined, see what she does when she's alone. And as the bell went on, she went up and down without anybody even in there because now she's conditioned. This is what everybody else was doing, right? So they thought, well, let's add some people to the office and they added um, regular you know, patients to the office to see what they would do. And as she stood up and sit, sat down with the bell, the guy next to her said, Why'd you do that? And she said, I don't know. Everybody else was doing it. I thought I was supposed to. So what do you think he does when the bell rings? You know, he gets up and sits down. And they yeah. all do. They all do that. And that's, think about it. When you're in the workplace, how many things are you standing up and sitting down doing? Uh, and you don't even know why. It's just always been done that way. You know, in that kind of thinking is what leads to the Kodaks, the, the blockbusters, all the common ones that people show as examples of were super successful, but they, they successful, but they uh, relied on the old tr- tried and true methods that you can't rely on anymore because Netflix isn't and they're going to eat your lunch. Right. So yeah. it's an interesting look at what curiosity is, is to for me. It's, it's really anti-status quo. And the more you can figure out why are we doing things this way? Is there a really good reason for it anymore? Because a lot of companies figure out that there's not a good reason to do something. And then they put their... Um, products to rest, like Ben and Jerry's, for example, they have great ice cream flavors that people love. And then suddenly maybe people aren't interested in them anymore, but instead of literally trying to shove them down people's throats, they, they go, okay, well, we'll just celebrate this and say, you know, this was great for when it was, but we're going to put it to rest. And they actually have headstones and little burial sites on their website showing that like this flavor was really good from this year to this year. And, you know, we'll celebrate that, but we're not going to just keep making you try and, and eat this flavor you don't want anymore. And unfortunately, a lot of companies keep giving the same flavor over and over again.
0: I love what you just share and how you put that into context, because unfortunately, a lot of companies do not celebrate uh, curiosity or don't uh, seek it, uh, let alone create environments to be expressed, right? And -hmm. that's where we see a lot of unhappiness in the workforce and why a lot of people wanted to move or change and go elsewhere because... Uh, they are not allowed to think uh, <laughs> or, or, or think outside of the box they're in, right? Right, right? And traditionally, as it's been set up to be. So, which also brings in uh, something that I've been uh, really contemplating a lot, which is social intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. We have this emotional capacity and emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. We have now curiosity and curiosity around that with the culture, with everything else. But it's like how much we're aware of socially what is going on internally, but then also externally, right?
1: Yep. You know, when I studied emotional intelligence in um, my dissertation process, you really break it down into understanding your own emotions and understanding those and others are really the basic two components. Because if you look at the different researchers, they all kind of call it something different. I mean, they define it differently, I should say, whether it's Meyer and Salovey or Goldman or, or Barron or any of the big names that study, who study uh, emotional intelligence, sometimes they have a little bit slightly different factors. Uh, Baron might have stress management where somebody else might have empathy or somebody else might have this might have that, right. But they're all kind of in there no matter how, what they call them you know it's these social and int- intra and interpersonal things yeah. that you have to recognize and emotions play a big part I, st- I still teach quite a bit of marketing and you know hr and a bunch of different things but in marketing you really are playing on emotions and your message you know emotions of what people will um, gravitate toward and a lot of people need to develop empathy and and empathy is a big part of emotional intelligence. it's in it, it, it's the being able to put yourself in somebody else's situation and, and and you don't have to agree with what everybody else says or thinks, but you have to see things from their perspective and and to really build that empathy uh, you have to question and then you get back to curiosity again and and that's why it's such an interesting topic to me because, Whether you're talking social learning, whether you're talking, you know, whatever you're talking about, it could be creativity, it could be engagement, it could be innovation, the hot topics, everything that everybody hires me to speak about, you know, fall under sometimes soft skills or whatever they're calling these things. Yes, they, they all boil down to well what's the spark to all of it. So I no matter whether it's Francesca Gino or uh, you know who studied uh, curiosity at Harvard and did some great research for HBR or whether it's a creativity expert or whether it's an innovation expert you name it they're on my show I ask them what comes first in their mind uh, and curiosity always comes first it's the spark right so. If we're losing just take engagement alone we i mean how many times do you hear gallup's number of 550 billion a year lost in the us due to low engagement right yes that alone is reason enough to work on curiosity right because curiosity if you can get people aligned to the right job their passion for what they do will come through. They will be aligned to to a job that makes them want to go to work. And and, you know, and to do that, you have to ask questions. You have to allow them to ask questions. And in Francesca's work, she found that, you know, leaders think they're encouraging curiosity, but sometimes uh, if you ask the people who follow them, it's not the same level of you know what they think that they are encouraging. So this is such a hot topic for what we need to see leaders develop because it ties into the bottom line so much and it's not just a fun thing to talk about you know let's get people more curious some leaders will go oh well i don't want them questioning me or i don't want to get off topic or you know there are always going to be the naysayers that who who are worried about you know what could or could not happen if somebody's allowed to ask too many questions or do too, too much and anything too much is going to cause problems no matter what it is i guess you can say but there's an the opportunity cost for not asking certain questions uh, and not exploring certain areas. And I, I think that this is a really important time for leaders who have seen that they, they, didn't, they weren't prepared for COVID. They weren't prepared for a lot of these things that have happened recently. And a lot of it is nobody really um, asked a lot of questions. Of, well, what are we going to do
0: if? Yes. That is excellent, Sharon. Thank you so much. And 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 you spot on when you don't have a risk management uh, in place or or, or, or conversations with the right people, how we will. Set up the infrastructure or positioning for all those variables because we live in global environments, right? And we're proving over and over right now how everything is so volatile. And 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 COVID was just uh, shaking us up rather <laughs> quickly. But but we will never live the way we used to because things will never go back to the condition we had. So how do you move forward? How do you have that higher risk of? Uh, um, of how how to develop that higher risk to the lead organization? and with skill sets that a lot of, of the leaders you write, absolutely lacking. And then mm-hmm. how do you fill the gap? So I'm curious from behavioral standpoint, what are some of your thoughts? Because I, I, I did a quite a bit of analysis and research myself and just seeing the gap getting bigger and bigger of the current leadership of current situations, let alone how to lead into the future. And, and it can be very daunting. Can it th- well, th- It can be, yeah.
1: yeah. As you're saying that, it reminds me of a talk I gave to Forbes many years ago they asked me to talk about the future of the workplace and the different generations involved in the impact of what that'll be and that was before, that was when millennials were the big issue and now we have maybe pandemials I don't know what they'll call the next generation I've heard that that's a potential I don't know but you know you look at the 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 disconnect of what boomers, what we had to deal with, every generation has their experience that shapes them, right? So we know the millennials are shaped by nine 11. And so the next generation Z will probably be shaped by COVID. And then every generation sees things that they've really never lived in a time before something happened where they really remember that time, you know? And so that's a thing that as the boomers retire, you're going to have a lot more millennials in there, and the millennials, of course, already have the biggest percentage of everything, and of you know jobs and in the workplace. And I think that each generation brings with it new things that they want to explore. And I, you're seeing a time where they're much more uh, conscience uh, conscious about the uh, environment, the you know, in different aspects of things that they're questioning: is this really a good idea? Is this a long-term sustainable um, practice that we didn't see in the past? So curiosity is coming into play quite a bit as we get the Googles of the world lo- allowing people their certain percentage of time to work on pet projects, and we, we're getting certain companies doing certain things. But there, one of the questions that comes up a lot is, you know, how can you be, build a curious culture if the top leaders don't buy in to the need? for curiosity development. And the point is, is it's really hard. And if you don't, you're gonna end up with the codex and blockbusters and those yeah. kind of companies because this is the time when people come to hire people like me who help with building curiosity, it's leaders who get it. They maybe wanna change the culture. They want, they know that this is important. It's the ones that don't go for help that they're going to end up having a lot more issues and you know may end up closing
0: That is such a very good point because uh, right now, just because we're still on status quo and doing okay, that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that trajectory of success and longevity of company is going to continue. But we're still seeing really interesting dynamics in behavior, right? A lot Mm -hmm. of people are now leaving their jobs or just fed up. They cannot deal with with exactly with those cultures and organizations that are not moving, adjusting as fast and not putting uh, a forefront on focus on their biggest assets, which is their people. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what would you recommend from the leadership standpoint, uh, some of the things that you see that others are doing so incredibly well, where they should start? Because I feel like everybody's like, we need to work on survival, right? Uh, So that we don't have a time, but that uh, it's intentional to have transformation and it's commitment and it's a take time. Nothing happens just rapidly. Otherwise, it's very very reactive, very explosive and very detrimental to the cohesiveness of the people. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, um, what would be some of your recommendations for everybody that is watching and listening and they're not sure, honestly, and they're very overwhelmed where to start? It
1: is, you know, the first thing is to question, is your culture one that embraces curiosity? And if it's not, how can we put it into our core values? And as we write our core values, how are we going to share those with our employees? And and some of it is to look at what other companies have done. And for example, before they shut down New York, I was in New York filming for Verizon, who has... Curiosity is a core value of theirs. And they had me do little vignette videos uh, explaining the value of curiosity. And then they would take examples of their employees who have done really amazing, curious um, based things that had led to their success. And they would create these onboarding videos or videos that they put in all of their their stores and all their different locations so that they show, this is what we value. This is our core value of curiosity. And this is an example of how it led to a successful person in our company. So that's one way I've seen it done. I've seen it done at Novartis when I've spoken for their curiosity month, they bring in 80 different people within um, the industries to come speak. And you talk about, you know, you maybe don't have the money or you don't have the resources. There's a lot of, Times you can get people to do certain things like that it was a free event that you get people in, you, you get um, experts who uh, are sharing with employees the different uh, aspects of the things that they think that curiosity can lead to. Curio- uh, at Novartis, they also reward 100 hours a year of employee Training. If they want to take a class, they want to go attend a TED event, or they want to do whatever it is that it is that rewards them and intellectually makes them grow. You know, we all know Google gave the the time to explore. There's a lot of of leaders who put down things that they want as culture changes but then they don't embrace it themselves so they don't em, they don't em, they don't embody what they would like to see back to Francesca's notes you know that they think that they're doing something but then it's not coming through the other side so what they have to do is really walk the walk and talk the talk if they're in a meeting they have to say, say things that show that they're curious or that they, that they ask people and they don't belittle content because the real part of what I found in my research were the four things that keep people from being curious are fear assumptions, which is the voice in your head, basically technology over and under utilization of it and environment, which is basically everybody you come into contact with. Right. So yes. if those are the things, if you think about it, environment, your boss your current boss, your past boss, your past teachers, your past, your family, your anybody you've ever known is your environment, basically. And this is the leader's opportunity to make sure the environmental piece only goes up from here and it's not an inhibitor, right? So recognizing these factors is a critical step in the process to building it. Um, Because if you, you know, what I do in my training courses is very similar Uh, In some respects to what Disney did, um, they with Disney, they had a problem with turnover, for example, and they uh, they had it in their laundry division, which, of course, is not the most glamorous job in the world, even at Disney. Right. And they thought all these people are dropping out. What, What can we do? So they went to these employees and they asked them, what can we do to make your job better? And that may seem simple. It's a very good curiosity based question. Right. And they probably at the time expected people to say, buy me a Ferrari or whatever silly stuff that maybe weren't, you know, they don't know what you're going to get back. Right. But they have very useful things. They got, you know, put an air vent over my station. So I'm not so hot. That make my desk go up and down. So when I'm folding my back doesn't hurt or whatever, you know, they got these very helpful things and it really reduced turnover. So, what leaders do the, when I train them is they not only are they, the, do their uh, employees go through all the training of how to build their own curiosity based on overcoming these four factors of fear, but we also put together a uh, program for the leaders based on you know all the things that they're struggling with within the company that are impacted by curiosity. If they're having problems with communication or, or engagement or whatever the, the list is, The end of the training course is a a program where the employees, are. we go to them in this training and say, okay, so what do you suggest based on now knowing how you're improving your curiosity? How would you give, what advice would you give your leaders of how to handle this, this and that? And then the leaders get a compilation of this whiteboarded great information. And it's really a, a roadmap of this is how we can develop curiosity
0: wow that is fantastic great applicable advice because a lot of times this is so easy to scale either it's for small enterprises mm-hmm. to obviously fortune 500 uh, but i'm curious now yeah. which of these companies in your mind really nailed it curiosity who would you highlight as a great example mm-hmm. so that it's like okay you know you feel really proud about not only that you have good great collaboration that you really feel like executives and leaders on top of their game uh, but i'm, I'm just truly, truly curious now to know. Well, you know, those, the ones I've named,
1: I think are very curious organizations. I think they're excellent. I think that, you know, we know Google, we know Verizon, we know Novartis, we know those types of companies do really well. There's some smaller companies, uh, well, and Ben and Jerry's, I'm trying to think of what other ones that I named that I think that are really great, but there's some smaller companies um, that I think you might find fascinating. There's a uh, electric bike manufacturer, uh, the, the hybrid, it's a hybrid, is Van Moof that had um, problems with their bikes shipping that they would break in the process. And they kept trying to figure out how to solve this problem, how to solve this problem. And everything they thought to solve it caused them uh, more, you know, to double the money if you doubled the packaging or whatever it was. And they didn't want, they didn't have the money and they wanted to fix this problem. So they used their curiosity and they looked around and they saw th- uh, another th- box that was shipped similar to theirs, was not breaking what was inside. And what was inside was a flat screen TV, which was very interesting to them. They're thinking, how can they have a similar box and a more breakable product probably, and they aren't breaking. And what they found, the only difference really was that there was a picture of a flat screen TV printed on the front of their box. So they decided to print uh-huh. a picture, a couple spent a couple cents and print a picture of a flat screen TV on their box. Their bike stopped breaking as much. So the thought process of these companies, there's so many examples from the putting the the flavor to bed at Ben and Jerry's or from the box shipping at Van VanMoof or to the certain amount of time that they have for pet projects at Google, you know, each company has their own unique spin on how they do it. And I think that that's what I think is really the thing that a lot of people don't recognize. I, 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 in the book I wrote about, um, uh, New Ormond uh, hospital in London. I think it was the name. Yeah, New Ormond. It was in um, London and they were having all these patients that they would try to transport from the ER to recovery that who were dying. And they just weren't having the results they wanted. And they were, they tried everything from the book of all the tried and true. And are we following this and following that? And can, you know, no matter what they did, they couldn't improve it that much. So, the executives were talking about it one night and they happened to be watching a uh, Formula One race car event on TV. And they watched this Ferrari team take apart their car and put it back together in like seven seconds with no problems. And it was super efficient, right? And they thought, well, how can they do that? And we can't do this. And what they thought was, well, let's hire this Ferrari team. We'll bring them back to the hospital and have them watch us and see what they say. (laughs) And they got some great input things outside fresh eyes kind of things. Right. And it made a big difference on mortality rates. So I think it. Uh, what the problem is, is, is we think within our cubicle yeah. and, or, it, or if we get outside our cubicle, we we'll get stuck in our silos. Or if we get stuck outside of our silos, we're still stuck in our industry. Sometimes you have to just be more open to looking at, outside industries. The bicycle it had nothing to do with the TV. The, the Ferrari had nothing to do with the hospital. And, but sometimes they do. And there can be a combination of things. So it, it, it's just a real, it's a hard thing to say one company does it better than any other. They all do it differently. But the point is the ones that do it get the great results.
0: I love that that is not the linear that we can learn from all different walks of faith and different industries, different companies, different sizes, right? And from different right. countries, because that the that aha moment, as you just gave it as example, it is just Tremendously impactful. And again, if we're not curious, if we're not exploring, if we're not challenging status quo, we're going to just disappear and die. Because uh, that's really what it is. Everything is speeding up, and, and it's so crucial more than ever to really be able to respond as fast enough to the change that is being in front of us, isn't it?
1: It is. You know, it's a time where you just can't rest on your laurels anymore. You you know, if you were successful in the past. it's, it's a time where everybody's focusing on more behavioral things because people are hired for their knowledge, but they're fired for their behaviors. Right. And so we know that we don't have the luxury of having a lot of extra weight in the company right now, that if people are not productive and we know that people are choosing to, start their own companies rather than go back to work. It's a hard thing to get people interested in going back to the office sometimes. And there's there's never been a time to find out what people really want to make them more engaged because you're going to have even worse numbers of engagement if people go back and they don't want to go back. And maybe they can do something differently than they were doing in the past. So we need to question what it is that our employees want. And I think looking at fear, assumptions, technology, and environment, the four factors of fate to make you remember them is a huge start because to know what's keeping us down is what what you need to do. How do you know how to go anywhere if you don't know where you are? So you figure out where you are and what am I telling myself fear wise is, you know, am I afraid to ask a question because They're going to think, well, I'm not good at this. And they're going to think that I shouldn't ask that. Or they're going to tell me that, oh, here's some more work. You're so good at that. We'll just put you on this committee and not pay you. Or whatever you think is going to happen based on your past experience that you're fearing. And, you know, we've unfortunately come from leaders who have said, don't come to me with problems unless you have solutions, which meant if I don't know the answer to fixing it, I better just not tell them. And so that's gonna cause us to hold back because sometimes we're not trained to know the solutions. I mean, of course we don't want whiners, but we want people to tell us when there's a problem, right? So yeah. a lot of the fear things are just things that leaders don't even recognize people are fearing. And so that that's a really important aspect. The assumptions, the, the thought process in our heads can come from the fear, you know, or you're, you're build to fear. You know, we start to tell ourselves, you know, the last time I asked a question, they mocked me it's the last time, you know, I, yeah, it, there's all kinds of things like that, that go through our heads that we don't want to feel stupid. And so we've taught, told ourselves, this is not going to be interesting. I, I did this in the past. I didn't like it. You know, there's a, a wealth of things that go through our minds. So um I sometimes, I mean, I'm in a in a meeting or give a talk, I'll say, you know, how much does this weigh as we're talking about assumptions and people yell out, I don't know, it's 10 ounce, 16 ounces, whatever the sizes of the glass I hold up. And I'll say, well, you know, it doesn't matter. What matters is how long we hold on to it. Uh, if you hold it for a second, no big deal. You hold it for an hour, your arm gets tired. You hold it all day, your arm gets paralyzed. It's the same things with the thoughts in our heads, you know, fleeting, no big deal. Hold on it for a while, it starts to slow us down. Hold on it for a long time, we, we become paralyzed. So we have to recognize what we're telling ourselves and how that's holding us back. And then the, the technology aspect of everything is the over and under utilization of it as we want companies to to grow curiosity within their people we have to recognize that that you might be the greatest mathematician in the world but if i give you a calculator and never tell you the math behind it you'll never know right so we need to have that foundation we need that backstory. so we need low tech days to build the knowledge but then now we have this calculator, what can we do with it? We need the high tech days to figure out, well, this could figure this, this, and this out, right? So a lot of us don't have great uh, backgrounds. Maybe we got we, we got uh, in training sessions and we started to lose uh, where we are. I don't know. I don't want to say anything. And then, you know, you don't want it to tell that you've gotten behind. So you start to dread the next version and the next version and that because you never did get Caught up to speed. And I think what we don't recognize is a lot of people learn at different paces and in different ways. And I've taught everything from undergrad, first class ever in college to doctoral, final oral dissertation, you know, the whole process I've taught. And I think you find that everybody learns differently. We have to go to each individual to some extent to find out, you know, is this, are you understanding this and and not make them feel uncomfortable if they're not ahead of somebody else or, you know, because when I sold software in the eighties, I'd see it all the time in my training classes They, you'd have somebody, they just, You know, glossed over after a few minutes because it was just too much for them, where other people are just bored because they've already learned it. So we have to recognize that in in the technology aspect of how we train our employees. And then the environmental aspect, we have a lot more control now of what happens at this point, but we have to recognize what's happened in the past to people. They might have come from a family that said, you had to do this job, and that's why they're in this job. They might have had teachers that who de- couldn't answer their questions because they had to teach to the test or they had 30 kids in class or whatever it is. They might've had you know, the pressure of family or peers saying, that's a stupid thing, why would you wanna do that? That getting th- back to their assumptions and telling them,
0: well, I shouldn't wanna do that, right? And so these things overlap and we need to look at these things. Wow, oh, such a brilliant share. And mm-hmm. you spot on that uh, we obviously have to look at and pay attention uh, because assumptions are the ones that kill everything, right? Kill communication, kill the trust, mm-hmm. not only just performance, but also the future of the reputation of organization and future organization. So with all of this in mind, I mean, what is next happening in your life, Diane? You're having, obviously, um, I'm sure so many things coming, but what's in that bucket list of to be accomplished to have it done? Because uh, for someone with such a trajectory on your career path and growth, uh, will be great to hear uh, what's coming next. Well, I continue to do a lot of the same things that
1: I do. Plus, I, you know, I have my radio show. I still teach and I still do all my writing and speaking and, and everything I've been working on. I'm building new courses and platforms for people because I can't go to every organization to train every single organization to build curiosity. So I train HR professionals and consultants to become certified to give the CCI. So it's kind of like, If anybody's given the Myers Briggs or the disk or the, you know, emotional intelligence tests, um, it's a very simple assessment to give they take some 10 minutes and they get the 25 pages PDF kind of thing like they're used to with assessments but what, since this is so relevant, I have a lot of consultants and, and people like that coming to me in addition to the HR people. And so I, I made this so that they would get SHRM recertification credit, and I've developed a whole bunch of different courses, but I'm in the process of building even more courses because there's so much content with curiosity that I, I can't keep up with building the, the, the tools and the things because they love to give these training sessions, but they want even more, uh, insights and, and help of, for data, there's not a lot of data uh, to tie certain things together. I mean, I know Novartis took, um, for example, they would give that the curiosity assessment of your higher low kind of assessment and then they gave curiosity training and then they did the higher low test again to see how it impacted their engagement. But there's not a lot of companies who have done that kind of research. So I'd love to get companies who are interested in doing something similar. uh, and uh, Because it's something that the data is lacking out there. I mean, it's intuitive. It doesn't matter who you have talking about it from all these top universities. They say, well, you don't really, you know, it's obvious you, you, you build this, you get that, but I still think it would be nice to do more research. And I'm always looking for companies who've done that and want to share their data because a lot of them don't publish it. And I think it needs to be published more because it, a lot of people want to see this and it's such a huge correlation.
0: That is fantastic. We're looking forward to seeing that and I cannot wait to explore that further because now I'm very curious myself and, <laughs> and that is how everything starts. Everybody does watching and listening because curiosity is the one to get us, sometimes as we were kids, we were been told in trouble, but actually also continues to get us <laughs> in trajectory of the life. But everything you accomplished with such an amazing legacy as a, as a woman, mm-hmm. as a, a trailblazer, as someone that I've definitely look up to and so many other women in our circle, um, what is possible? What what would you like to uh, be remembered for? What would you like to your legacy be? Well,
1: you know, I really would like that people are able to build curiosity based on what I found in the research, because I think talking about the importance of curiosity is one thing, but actually doing the, the work and figuring out what it is that stops you and moving forward is the key to, to success. And you look at the top leaders in the world, all the billionaires and geniuses I've had on my show, they've all done that and they haven't let those things hold them back. So I'd like to be known that maybe I had a little help in helping a few people along the way reach a successful level because they weren't held back by their their fear of uh failure, their fear of all the things that uh, could hold them back. And I think that that's what I hope people remember me for my research in the area of uh, just improving behaviors and more.
0: That is brilliant. And for everybody not familiar with so beautiful uh, show, uh, the radio show that she's having as well, where she can find where they can find your book. Do you mind sharing what is the best way to get in touch? What is the best way also to tap into Curiosity Model and learn more and maybe implement in their organizations? Where would you like them to go?
1: Well, you can find me on all the social media at Dr. Diane Hamilton, and Doctor's not spelled out, so it's just D R D I A N E H A M I L T O N, which is drdianehamilton.com. You can get to the curiosity stuff directly at curiositycode.com, but you can get there through Dr. Diane Hamilton and clicking the curiosity or perception if you're interested in perception, that's there as well. And uh, they can always contact me I, I, on LinkedIn, uh, say that you uh, heard me on this show or saw me on this show. And uh, I would love to chat with you. Uh, you can also contact me through my site. I'm, I'm out there everywhere. So most social media, I'm pretty active. LinkedIn's my favorite, but hey, you can catch me in most of them.
0: Fantastic. It was absolute pleasure to be with you today, uh, to be with us today on the Legacy like, Leader Show. Sorry. <laughs> but I just want to say thank you so much for your time. I know you have an extremely busy schedule, uh, but we're absolutely thrilled that you could share with us and specifically what is coming and why curiosity is important to human behavior and future. So thank you very much. Well,
1: thank you for having me. You have such a great show and I was really looking forward to this and I'm honored that uh, you've found this such an important topic because it, to me it's, it's everything so I hope your listeners get a lot out of it thank you for listening to legacy
0: leader show if you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience then please leave us a positive rating in addition leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer cheers